Jesus has just resurrected. We celebrated that uh, last week, the, that, that moment where death uh, was defeated, uh, where we were no longer enslaved to that, uh, given this eternal hope through what Jesus did. Uh, and uh, we're still on that same day here. And so in John chapter 20, verses 19, we're gonna be looking all the way to verse 31. Uh, Jesus has appeared to Mary uh, and, and he's appeared to some, and now uh, he's going to appear to uh, the disciples. And so in John chapter 20, let's pick up in verse 19. It says this, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Okay, so uh, it's evening of, of that same day, that Sunday. Uh, and, and so uh, we see that the, the frightened disciples are gathered uh, together in this undisclosed location in this room. And they're understandably hiding out of fear of the Jews understandably because uh, their leader, their teacher, the one they follow has just been executed. It's been crucified and, and, they, and they've seen that and, 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 and it's like not the time to be associated with that guy. And so there they are out of fear that at any point in time, uh, the religious authorities could come after them. And so they're there in that room and then all of a sudden, Jesus is there. Now the doors were locked. And all of a sudden now Jesus is there standing in the room and he says, peace be with you, which is the Hebrew equivalent of hello. And so in his resurrected glorified body, he had passed through the walls. And, and, and obviously they're in shock like you and I would be, right? <laughs> I mean, come on. And so they're in shock. And, and so Jesus is, is literally reassuring them that it's him, right? So he's like, look, look at the scars, uh, all of that. And in fact, Luke's account, he actually says, I'm hungry. Do you guys have anything to eat? And so they're, they're, they're like, their minds are trying to get wrapped around the reality of what Jesus, uh, not, he's alive. And then he just came through the wall. Here he is. And, and, and so they rejoice. They're glad. Uh, they're excited. And so then Jesus says again to them, peace be with you. Now the peace be with you is a little different this time, isn't it? He's not saying hello again. What he's doing here is he's reminding them of an earlier promise he had made. In fact, in John chapter 14, verse 27, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. 
Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so essentially when he's saying peace be with you now, what he's saying is the peace I told you about, the peace that I was gonna leave you with, the peace that I was gonna bring to you, it is here. It is being delivered right now as a result of the resurrection. And so now, regardless of the fear you were experiencing, the unknowns that were out there, you can have peace now in this life. And the same peace that was brought and was made available to them uh, on that evening is the same peace that's available to you and I today that we can live with. Jesus then said, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. He sends his disciples out the same way he was sent, out of obedience to the Father and empowered by the Spirit to proclaim the message of salvation. See, Jesus is our pattern for ministry. Okay, in in Luke 19.10, he said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Okay, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So each church is uniquely commissioned. Each individual is uniquely commissioned by God to take his message to the world. We're sent by Jesus in the same way he was sent by the Father. Now, here's what we can't forget. Here's what we can never forget. Jesus came to us. Did you hear that? Jesus came to us. He didn't wait for us to come to him. There should have been an amen there. Like, just <laughs> amen. You guys, think about it. Uh, he descended down from heaven, which wasn't a luxury trip, okay? To come to here, he took on the form of a man and then ministered in the towns and villages where people were at. Okay, so, so, so what? He took the initiative. Jesus took the initiative. He sacrificed his comfort and he went out to us where we were. Guys, uh, if you've ever watched a lifeguard and if you've ever seen someone drowning, uh, a lifeguard doesn't yell to the person drowning, hey, this is what you need to do to not drown. Do they? Like if you've ever been to the ocean uh, and, and, and you see a lifeguard in the chair, you see someone out there, they're getting swept up or uh, they're struggling out there. You do not hear a lifeguard say, everybody quiet and then yell to the, pe- to the person out there. What do they do? Man, they run in. They go after that person who is drowning. You guys, we have too many Christians shouting advice to those who are drowning from the safety of the shore. That's not what Jesus did. It's not what Jesus did. Because he dove in and he swam to rescue us. Guys, for whatever reason, evangelism, when we talk about it, has just become this this optional thing, uh, this comfort-based thing that, that I'll do it if the opportunity presents itself, right? Like, like if, if the right door opens, if, if they ask 
me this question or we're just alone uh, at that time and a worship song randomly comes on, that, then, then I'm going to talk about it. Then I'm going to share. If they ask me. And, 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 and that's literally our posture. Uh, and some of us, we even train others how to do it. We're training others how to do it. But, but you guys, uh, we don't learn this model from Jesus. That's not the model he taught us. That's not the model he uh, lived. He went out, like we were just saying, he went out and rescued those who were lost and dying. He went to where they were. He willingly sacrificed his life so that they might be saved, so that you and I might be saved. Jesus lived on mission. Lived on mission. He didn't, you guys, he didn't just walk around like we love highlighting how we love people. You guys, Jesus loved people so well, but he didn't just walk around loving people. Like, like, you know, he wasn't that app where you get a hug. Like, you know, I don't know what the app's called, Cuddle Buddy. I don't remember what it is. Okay, I heard about it. And that wasn't what Jesus did, but that's how we picture him sometimes. He just went around like, man, people just needed cuddled. They needed loved, uh, you know, wherever they were at, whatever they were going through. Uh, that's, that's, that's what he did, you know? And, and then he just wouldn't judge anybody. He was just, that's all he did, right? That, like, that's kind of the mindset. That's kind of like what I hear about him. But you guys, he came to seek and save the lost, so, so when he's loving people, he's loving them, uh, and, and, he's, and, he, and he's not just, oh, no, he's, he's speaking to them. He's teaching them the gospel. It's for the purpose of the gospel. And, and, and so that's what Jesus was doing. And you guys, as, as Jesus is telling the disciples, uh, now I'm sending you out as I've been sent out, guys, that's got to be so encouraging. I mean, they've got to be overwhelmed with just love. Uh, I, I, I mean, uh, just baffled at the grace that they're receiving. I mean, they failed him. They have failed him. They fled. They're in fear. In that moment, they're hiding. Uh, and, and Jesus says, in spite of all of that, I've hand-selected you to carry on my word and my works. You're going to represent me. That's pretty amazing. I want you to think about what that means for us today. How amazing is it that you and I, who continually make mistakes, who continually fail, who continually put our foot in our mouths, uh, who, who are dishonest, who all these things that we do, uh, and yet Jesus has still hand-selected you. You're not a mistake. Uh, he wasn't forced upon you. Uh, you weren't any of those things. Uh, he chose you. Uh, and, and not only has he chose you knowing all that he knows about you and your past, but he says, I've selected you to carry on my word and to reflect me and my mission into your world. Whew. Man, that's pretty awesome. And so this has got to be exciting for them, those that who are obviously reminded how they have failed, how they struggled, how they've been dominated by fear. And so you guys, you and I, we've been given his word, we've been given his works, and we've been given a clear mission. And so that means my calling uh, to, to, to evangelize, uh, my calling to, to share my faith, uh, to, to model, to reflect the life of Christ. I take and I look at everything now in light of this mission if I'm a Jesus follower. 
It's not this comfort-based thing. And so, and so if, if I'm a coach right now and I'm coaching, that's my mission. If, I, if, I'm, uh, if I'm an accountant, I, I have a missional mindset. If I'm a business owner, if I'm in construction, if, I, if I'm a teacher right now, if, if, if I'm a student, uh, if I'm an artist, if, I, if I'm in sales, uh, if, if, I, if I'm into design, if, if I'm a doctor or, or maybe a, a nurse, uh, maybe I'm a stay-at-home parent, uh, a firefighter, uh, whatever you may be and wherever you may be living, that neighborhood, uh, that apartment complex, whatever it looks like, that is your mission. And so that's the mindset, that's the heart we're called to have. All of us, if we're Jesus followers. And, and our church's mission, uh, it also can't just be this evangelize, 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 right? Like, like we're called to what? We're called to imitate Christ in all that we do. We're called to imitate him. Uh, John 13, 15, after he's washed their feet, he says, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And so as, as we live and operate as a church, as, as individuals, we should be loving and serving our community here. That should be a priority. Uh, our, our neighbors, the, the people around us, we should be identifying needs. We shouldn't be like waiting for needs. We should be identifying those needs. We should be going to the ones that are hurting. We should be identifying the people groups that are hurting uh, and, and figure out, God, how do I be a light? In, how do I bring your light into that? How do I model and reflect you? How do I missionally take the gospel into that space? We see then after commissioning them, Jesus then did something that were unclear of what actually happened. Says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, some believe uh, that this was a purely uh, symbolic and prophetic act uh, reminiscent of uh, the, the lessons and the teachings that many prophets in the Old Testament would do where they would act out their message uh, in some ways uh, to help deliver the message. And so some believe that that's what he was doing. So he was symbolizing uh, through this what was to come at Pentecost uh, when the Holy Spirit would uh, come upon them. But others uh, say that this was a filling of the Spirit uh, for power until the regularized relationship with the Spirit began at Pentecost. And then some believe that this was just John's account of what took place on Pentecost. Now, we don't know for sure. Okay, there's just places in the Bible we don't know for sure. Uh, many people have different opinions uh, or thoughts. Many theologians have different opinions or thoughts uh, in regards to this. My, my personal uh, thought and opinion is that, that uh, he was imparting on them uh, uh, the spirit for, um, for whatever they had in front of them, for the belief they needed to have right then and there uh, to get them to that place at Pentecost. But like I said, we don't fully know. But Jesus then tells them uh, in verse 23, he says something uh, that's kind of interesting. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, let's be really clear. Scripture teaches that God alone can forgive sins. Okay, God alone can forgive sins. What Jesus is saying 
is that they can now with authority declare that those who genuinely repent and believe the gospel, they will have their sins forgiven by God. Okay, so now as a result of the resurrection, their message they ha- uh, that they're gonna say, the authority that they have to speak with is they can now say that if you genuinely repent of your sins, you will receive forgiveness through the finished work of Jesus. But now they have the authority as well to warn those who reject Jesus that they will die in their sins. Because you guys, I love to talk about how he wants to save you, how, how, how he can save you, how you have the opportunity to receive him. Uh, but, but do you understand that it's saving you from something? Right? Like there is a real place called hell. And, and, and so by the authority that Jesus is bringing, he's now saying, you guys have the authority, the authority now to share this message, to share the message uh, of forgiveness, but also to share the message that if they don't respond, there is a place called hell that people will go. But for us, you guys, and, and, and now as Christians, we have this ability to bring the message with authority of forgiveness. But you guys, God performs the miracle of forgiveness. We can't do that. But we can make a choice to forgive, can't we? He continues in verses 24 through 29. It says, Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So we find out that there was someone missing from that first visit. Thomas wasn't there. And, 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 and so Thomas uh, arrives finally, Jesus has left and, and, and all the disciples are just shook. They're excited and they're just like, Thomas, you won't believe what happened. Like doors locked, everything, Thomas. And Jesus just, woo, he was here. And, 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 and like we saw him, he ate something. It was crazy, Thomas. He's resurrected. Everything's changed. And, 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 and so Thomas responds how? I will not believe that unless I actually put my hands and fingers into where the scars are, where those wounds are. I'll never believe that. Now, that's how Thomas earns his nickname, Doubting Thomas. But like I said months ago when I talked about him, he gets an unfair shake. Because guess what? The rest of the disciples were in the same camp, weren't they? In fact, before Jesus went through the wall, they had been refusing to believe the other accounts of his resurrection. So they were in the same boat. So 
he gets an unfair shake as far as I'm concerned. So we missed out. But then eight days later, and it's Sunday again, because uh, how they recorded days, any part of a day uh, was considered a day. There they are again in the room, doors locked, same situation. And as he'd done earlier, Jesus all of a sudden is there, uh, standing in their midst. And then what does he do? He immediately addresses Thomas. Thomas, come here. See this? Come here. Let me see your hands. Thomas responds, my Lord and my God. Guys, what Jesus is doing in that moment is he's modeling what we see in Hebrews when it talks about our high priest, our new high priest. And in Hebrews 4.15, it's talking about Jesus. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Guys, I love that. We have a savior who sympathizes with our weakness. I want you to hear that because the voice I hear oftentimes portrayed is, you did this again, you failure, you're unqualified, you're undeserved of this, how dare you? That's the voice that we put into our minds and we attribute it to God's voice. And yet what you see in scripture is we have a savior who is able to actually sympathize with our weaknesses, sympathize with our failures, knowing that he's gone through all of these temptations. He knows how much you struggle in this. He knows this is an issue for you. He knows that you keep falling back into that. But guess what? He's right there to meet you at that point of unbelief. He's right there to meet you at that point of weakness, at that point when you're at your worst, at that point when you get back into the car and you're beating yourself up for an interaction or something that you wish you wouldn't have done, he's there. There should be an amen there. There just should be. And so, and so we need to fix that, Okay. We need to change that, that narrative. He meets Thomas there at his point of weakness and unbelief. And Thomas just exclaims, my Lord and my God. And Jesus doesn't correct him <laughs> on affirming his deity. But he says this, he says, have you believed because you've seen me? And Jesus, what he's doing is he, Jesus is looking ahead to after the ascension at this point. And, and what he's doing is, is he's highlighting after the ascension how he says, what blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He says, man, you, you've seen and you've believed, but man, blessed are those uh, who are going to have to make a declaration of faith who haven't seen what you've seen, Thomas. In fact, uh, in 1 Peter, Peter writes to these Jesus followers scattered all throughout the empire uh, who are making decisions. And, and, and he says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, or though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
blessed are, are, are you. Guys, that's us. That's us. I want to just clap for you. Because I think sometimes, uh, sometimes we in this, uh, in this like Christianity that, that almost like conditions us to look at people and go, well, of course you should believe. What's wrong with you? How could you just not believe? Do you not remember that, that man, this is, this is a step of faith. And man, I was reminded of it this week. Man, my son, he is pleading with me at night pleading with me to help him believe. Pleading to the point of tears, daddy, help me believe. I want to believe. And I'm a pastor. I'm sitting there going, failing. I am a failure. And that's all he's saying, help me believe. You know why he's saying that? He goes, dad, I can't see him and I can't hear him. That's all I want. I just want to see him or hear him. And he's reading these verses. He's hearing in scripture. And so he's wrestling with this reality. And guess what, you guys? I can't force my belief on him. He's gonna have to come to that point. But you know what? Because he can't see him physically, because he's not, he hasn't yet. I was praying he would. I thought that'd be kind of cool if he just walked through the wall right now and just uh, parenting done at that point. Um, but that didn't happen. My son is going to have to take a step of faith. And guys, that's where we're at. But we can be encouraged uh, and we can encourage people when they make that step because man, you are blessed as a result of that step. I love how he says, blessed are those, blessed are those. He's singling us out. Blessed are those who aren't gonna be able to see what you've seen and are still gonna make a decision to follow me. Blessed are they. And blessed doesn't just mean this is happiness, right? Blessed is, being, blessed is being happy, I'll tell you. It's a joy, but it means being accepted by God. It means being a recipient of all of God's blessings. His favor permanently placed on us through Jesus. And then in verses uh, 30 and 31, it says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I don't know what these signs and miracles were, but man, don't you just wish, hey man, can't you just put that, add it? What did he do? But you know what? John says that's not the purpose here. He says, the purpose and the meaning behind the miracles that I wrote about in this book, in this gospel, are recorded so that what? Why are they recorded? Look at verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the summary statement of the gospel of John. There it is. Believing so that you may have life. You guys, spiritual life comes through belief. We must believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God. 
We must believe uh, in, in, in the truths that he, that he, that he died, that he, that he rose erected, that he, that he resurrected from the dead. And then upon believing in him, we experience eternal life through what he did. But, but what does it mean here? Because I just hear this word, I just gotta believe. I hear that word mentioned so often. What does it mean biblically to believe? What does that mean? Well, what we see is genuine belief includes both confession and commitment. That's what we see biblically. And so we must confess, as I just said, we must confess that Jesus is Lord. We must confess that he's the Messiah. We must confess that he's the Savior, that he rose again, that he's the Son of God. We, we must confess that. How do we know that's what we're supposed to confess? Right? How do we know that that's the truth? Well, uh, God's word reveals to us what we're to believe. See, we have the finished work of God now. In Romans chapter 10, uh, verse 17, it says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Okay, so that's how we understand what we're called to believe, what we're called to uh, confess. Now, as we look at that, we must also commit to following Jesus as Lord. Okay, uh, biblical belief is committing to embrace these truths that you've confessed personally. It's embracing them personally. These two aspects of belief are, are perfectly demonstrated uh, in Thomas's response. He confesses Jesus is his Lord and his God. See, his confession is clear. How do we know? Well, he says Jesus is God right? Jesus is God. He is Lord. But his commitment is connected to his confession because what does he say? He doesn't say Jesus is a God, the God. He says, Jesus is my Lord and my God. It's not about the words we say, but a personal decision to commit yourself to Jesus as your Lord. Confession without commitment isn't the belief that scripture talks about. And here's what's so scary. Churches are full of people who know the gospel, who know the Romans road. But many of those same people have never turned from their sin to follow Jesus. Many professing Christians view their commitment to Jesus as more of an affiliation thing. Well, that's who I identify with, that's, that's, that's my affiliation. And, and, and so we'll throw that out there, but only when it's what? When it's beneficial for me to, right? When, 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 uh, when someone else believes that. Oh, me too. When someone else goes to that church, I go to that church too. And so, and so we'll talk about our, how we follow Jesus when it's convenient or even when it gets me a sale. And so we'll use that, but then where we actually see the commitment manifesting itself and where we actually see if it's real or not is what? When things start not working out, right? When, when things get more difficult. When something is unexplainable that happens to you, your family, or something in your life, uh, and, and things just aren't going well, and then all of a sudden we are brought to the reality of what? What does our commitment actually look like, aren't we? That's when we really see if there was a commitment made or if that confession was empty. 
You guys, faith must include certain truths about Jesus, but the truths must have commitment accompanied by this willingness to follow Jesus. And so I, I wanna just ask you this question. It was a question I've been wrestling with. Have you ever reflected on your commitment? Have you reflected upon your commitment to Jesus? Now, typically, uh, when we talk about this in a, in a church setting and a pastor says this, uh, they're, they're asking you to think about how are you serving the church, right? Or, or are you giving to the church? All, all these things, right? About uh, how does it look, like how much time are you spending at the church? What are you doing for the church? I'm not asking that. I am asking you, what does your commitment look like right now to Jesus? What does that look like? The church stuff will take care of itself if that's where it needs to be. And I was completely um, just immersed in that thought this week. What does my commitment look like? Now, the easy out for me is, well, I'm a pastor. So I'm totally committed every day, God. It's like, yeah, that's what you do, Steve. But what, and, and you know what really hit me is, I was just processing some articles about Christians around the world being persecuted. And I was focusing in on the pastors in those churches and the prayers that I was having for the pastors in those churches and these pastors that are literally getting up to preach, knowing it could cost them their life, knowing that it could cost them their family, knowing that at any point in time, people could come running in and arrest them, kill them, knowing that even just having that title and what that brought. And, and, and you know what hit me? I started asking myself, would you preach if that was you? Would you take your family there to that church if that was you? See, a lot of times when we look at our commitment, our commitment is centered around a lot of things working out in a way that benefits me, isn't it? Guys, I try to say this all the time. Man, I, ha I have it pretty good. I'm preaching in a theater. And I feel pretty, I feel pretty safe. I feel pretty good. We're live streaming out to people. No one's trying to shut that down, at least that I know of. And so... I've got it pretty good. But what I had to wrestle through is outside of the things that are pretty good in my life, what does my commitment really look like to Jesus? And I think the challenge for us is we've had it pretty good. Even our worst is a lot better than what a lot of people are dealing with. And so when we talk about a commitment with, with Jesus, the easy out is to go, well, I do these these things. But I think deep down, we have to like just remove some of these things that are honestly kind of handed to us or easy for us. And we got to ask, no, what is my real commitment to Jesus look like? These are the things I confessed. If I've confessed that I'm a Jesus follower, but what does my commitment look like to the confession I've made? Or is this, or is there a huge gap there? 
And so those are the things that we have to uh, wrestle with. Uh, And then he talks about out of this belief, what? We receive the life he talks about, this new life. Just as I mentioned last week, we are adopted into God's forever family. And just as a child is adopted into a new family and takes on uh, these new new siblings, this new family, this new love that's in their life, this new way of life and everything, so are we as a result of our belief in Jesus. We're brought into a new family. It changes everything so that now we are considered what? We are in Christ. And so everything we say and we do comes under this reality that we're a part of the family of God. And we cannot be separated from that. Jesus repeatedly told the disciples, come to me and you'll receive eternal life. You will experience real peace, lasting joy, divine acceptance. And, and guys, God wants us to, to have joy. He wants to, to bless us. Uh, but the reality is he, he created us to pursue joy in him. And I think too often we have cheap substitutes that we're in love with. Guys, are we... Are we living like we found the greater joy? Is there a gap in our lives between confession and commitment? Is there a gap? Are you on mission right now in your life? Are you on mission? Or are you just, man, I'm just living. I'm just living. I'm just doing it. I'm taking it a day at a time. And if opportunity presents itself, I'll, I'll do it. Are you living on mission Jesus calls us to use this brief time, this this breath, essentially, that we have, this life. He invites us to use it for a greater purpose, and he commissions us to take his message of the gospel to those who haven't heard it so that they can believe, receive forgiveness of sin, and find life in him. And that's the purpose of this book. This is written so that you may believe. If you've never aligned a confession with commitment, I would invite you to make him Lord and Savior of your life and to follow him. And you can do that today. But maybe for the rest of us, this man is that challenge. Where's my commitment at with him? What does it look like? And then secondly, am I living missionally? Am I living missionally? Guys, there are so many excuses to not live missionally right now. Maybe more than ever. But just maybe now more than ever is the greatest opportunity to live missionally. There's never been a time that I've been alive where more people are more aware of their need for something greater. And if we have that hope, we should be living out the mission. And so as a church, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do that. And I invite you into that as well. Amen. Let's pray.